Welcome to Midnight Menu Plus One. I'm Ray Kanata. And I'm Margot Moss. Midnight Menu Plus One is a food lifestyle show on the podcast network. It's NewOrleans.com. Brought to us tonight by Petite Pet Care. While you're at work or on vacation, you don't have to board your pet. He can stay in the comfort of his own home. For loving care when you're not there, Petite Pet Care. Find them at PetitePetCare.com. Now, each week on Midnight Menu Plus One, Margo and I invite a member of New Orleans restaurant and food community to join us for a conversation, and we invite them to bring along their own guest, the Plus One. We never know who the Plus One's going to be. Sometimes it's a friend, a neighbor, family member, masseuse, fellow restaurant colleague, whatever it is, but tonight we're at the Tap Room. Uh, NOLA Brewing's Tap Room is NOLA Brewing's on-site watering hole located in the Irish Channel. The Tap Room serves NOLA's regular lineup of craft beers as well as eight or more specialty brews that you can't get anywhere else open weekdays from 2 p.m to 11 p.m and week and weekends from 11 a.m to 11:30 p.m now our special guest tonight we'll be speaking to in just a moment on midnight menu plus one is uh the incomparable luke of zots um and i cannot wait to talk with him and also his mystery guest but before we do that, Margo, wanted to find out about your culinary adventures. I know you were out of town in Miami. Did you have some good food experiences there? Uh, yeah, well, I had some interesting uh, food experiences. We went to uh, Joe's Stone Crab, which is like the old original. The original one. Yeah. Yeah. It's an old-time place, and uh, people wait for hours to, to eat the stone crabs, and it was great. It was really nice. Awesome. And... Um, I had Japanese food, and uh, we went. It was uh, this place on Lincoln Road, uh, and it, the owner is the son of Benihana. Wow, the now, guy who started Benihana's. Now, restaurant. Benihana's got to be dead, right? He's like Mr. Miyagi. He's like 175 or something now, right? And he's got to be gone. Yeah, I think he is. There were pictures. How old was of, his son? Um, well, there were pictures of his son. I did not meet him, oh, okay. but there were pictures of him with Muhammad Ali when he was a kid. So I don't know. I know. I know. I know you like to go incognito when you travel, and people find out you're a food celebrity at these restaurants. Food they all celebrity. Don't want to get their picture with you and put it up on the wall. Yeah, right but next to Muhammad Ali. Ali, exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'd much rather hang out with you, Muhammad Ali. Are you Ali, projecting? To be Are you projecting? <laughs> Um, well, but okay, I, so wait. Now, back in town, though, you went to... Yeah, I want to tell you, um, I went to Trinas. Yes. After we had uh, Jean-Paul. Jean-Pi- Jean-Paul on the show. Is it Jean-Paul? Jean-Pierre. Uh, Jean-Pierre I met a Jean- right? No, the guy who fixed my car today was Jean-Paul. That's where I got, <laughs> I got Jean-Paul in the mind. Jean-Pierre, well, right. Well, he was talking about the gumbo, and I am so picky about gumbos. I never... Um, I don't eat gumbo in restaurants. Because I grew up here, and, yeah. you know, I'm kind of, I'm not snobby, but I just, to me, I'd rather eat it at home or in someone's home. The than way I am with my red sauce Italian, I'm, I'm picky about that. Yeah, so you are with your gumbo. That's kind of a curse in this town, because there's lots of great gumbo yes. for the rest of us. But you grew up with a very particular style that you want if you don't well, get I'm, it. Yeah, I'm just picky. You know, yeah. it just doesn't, why go out and eat something that I would eat right. with my family? You know, I want to have an experience. So then what, what, what caused you to get it there then? Well, I, He forced it, it on you? He impressed me. No, they, they, they it re- I really enjoyed having them on the show. So I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go out of my comfort zone. I'm going to try the gumbo. All right. Now it's just between you and me, no one else. But like, <laughs> tell me, was it really what he had the way they described it? It was dark and it was, yes. it was very different. It was right? not a thick roux, right. thin which roux, I like. Thin roux, dark, 
um, the flavors were absolutely layered and complex. It wasn't just like That's exactly a one what note. They were told us, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't just like a, you know, overpowering roux or, and uh, it wasn't crowded with seafood. It was, and it it was easy to eat. All right, accessible. Um, it was except. I mean the bite size like the stuff was all chopped up so it was really easy to eat and i had it without potato salad i tasted it without the potato salad in yeah it. and then they brought me potato salad to put in it which i love i don't know if you've ever had gumbo with yeah potato i have salad. I have yeah that's great so i they are absolutely i would go back just for the gumbo awesome yeah it was great Wow. Okay. Well, you know, a lot of folks will be uh, here for Mardi Gras, and it's the perfect spot, like right next to every parade. Basically, mm -hmm. it's going to all the uptown route parades or whatever are going to go right to the Lee Circle where where this is, and this would be a great opportunity for people to give it a shot. Yeah. You get to go in and eat great food and fuel up, so you can drink all day, and then you have access to a bathroom if you get a cup of gumbo. I mean, I'm I'm speaking for them, but I would assume they'll let you use the bathroom if you eat a cup of gumbo. Oh, that's awesome. All right. <laughs> Well, listen, I, we could talk all day, but I, I, I do not want to take one second more away from the world's most interesting man we have with us tonight. Now, now <laughs> you're laughing. I'm, I'm not, have I said that often, though? Uh, let, me, let me say this, um, Margo. Um, we've had, what, over 100 episodes so far, right? Uh -huh. We've never had a barista on the show. We did have one coffee shop owner. I remember Greg Hill, of course, from, from Luna. who's a wonderful coffee shop owner. We've never had a barista. And, uh, and of course, I, you know, I do all my business all day long. This is what I do for a living. All my meetings are all in coffee shops. I'll go to four or five coffee shops in a day sometimes. So I've been to every coffee shop in the planet. I know all the baristas everywhere. And of all those people, the first barista I've ever invited on the show is Luke because he's just that interesting. The, um, the, the, uh, New Orleans has the, the most interesting, to me, the coffee shop experience, the coffee is important, but to me, the most important thing is the personalities, you know? And New Orleans has the greatest personalities in the world in terms of uh, baristas. And of all those people, if there was a king, if we we're going to declare a crew of crew of a barista, <laughs> it would be it would be Luke. This is the guy. All right. Well, I'm so, excited. Yeah. I'm laughing wow. because uh, his reaction to your um, intro is quite funny. What? But I, what so it, it makes me want to um, some cross-eyed look. So you don't own Zots? You don't own any pieces Zots? No, but you, you know just, I actually did out there issue there. A, a security for it the other day uh, without without telling the owner. I uh, so if you want to buy stock in, in, in <laughs> it, I mean I've got some out of uh, off license securities. A, a uh, eight hundred and two hundred and one uh, eight thousand two hundred one shares of it actually. Really? That's the address. So you're going to be like the guy from the Shake Shack. The billionaire, the Shake Shack went public. You're you're bringing yeah. Zots public, right? Yeah. Well, he he's not. He you know if 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 we were to buy out Zots, you know, as a community, the New Orleans community, I, I'm sure he'd be pretty angry. But uh, <laughs> I mean, I think it's possible. Besides it being fraud, it's possible. Right. Right. right? Besides I mean. it being fraud. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I've been working at uh, Zots since uh, actually right after Katrina. I, I got a job there, and so I've been working there a decade now, basically. What? You look like you're 12. How is that possible? Uh, <laughs> well, I eat a lot of honey, so um, um, no, no. I, they they hired me kind of in this weird transition period where the previous owners who started on Royal Street. Uh, had uh, they had the the previous owners on Royal Street, uh, Mac and Chesley, had they had gotten together with um, 
John Burr, rest in peace, and uh, Ann Motley-On Burr, and they had decided to put it in this uptown location um, in franchise. But, but they sent John Burr, the owner of the building, to Amsterdam to model the building after an Amsterdam cave cafe, you know. I th- I think the the coffee shops in Amsterdam are a little different for some reason. I, I don't I didn't exactly get clear on what was different about them, but they had to send him there specifically to get the vibe and the atmosphere. The cave. The cave, yeah. Because Zot's got a cave thing going inside. Right, yeah, so they, okay. they plastered the walls to kind of make it look like a rock feel, and then they stained it dark, and they, and they had like three or four different managers of the previous one come in and help uh, do the interior design. So, And then over the years, it's just gathered more and more skeletons. It's kind of really dark and macabre. And, and, uh, the, uh, and then it got sold uh, because um, uh, Mac and Chesley had a family emergency where, um, you know, cancer struck them and they had to, uh, you know, focus on their health. And um, so they sold the business to Mike and Suzanne, who are uh, old school New Orleans goths? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Goths, goths. Holy goths! Mike yeah. White Susan. face, black. Oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, what what are their names? Mike and Suzanne. Mike and Suzanne Bartlett. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Suzanne grew up going to uh, Ursulines. She's uh, or she's, oldest girl school in America. Right, and she was a scholarship case, so you know she's not from wealth, but you know still worked her way up and. Uh, decided yeah she loved Zot so much on the Royal Street location she had to you know and so they they took it over and uh oh oh under the condition that uh John Burr was very specific that Zot's could not become a goth cafe huh. so well what keeps it from becoming a goth well, cafe and what does a goth cafe mean well they were just afraid you know there would just be nothing but nine inch nails and uh, uh, Marilyn Manson on the well, what do goths listen to anyway I don't know I wish I, I'm sorry <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing them a disservice by not not saying exactly what type of music they listen to but but um, they kept their style personally but they didn't let it overtake the 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 theme of the right and then there was all kinds of shake-ups in the management and you know there was crossfire drama and everybody was you know this you run a cafe for that long you're gonna have some interesting um, so you've been there through several administrations regimes right and my strategy is is just uh put my finger over my mouth and just don't say anything because silence is golden when it comes to, you know, workplace drama. That's what I found. Well, so. it obviously has worked. You've been there 10 years, huh? Right. There's not a lot of people that have been in the same coffee shop in New Orleans for 10 years. That's pretty remarkable, right? Right. Okay. So why, um, why did you, why were you drawn to Zots? What were you doing before you were, um, a barista. Well, let's see. I went to school at uh, Tulane for a year. That was in 2004, studying architecture. And uh, let's see. And in 2005, we came back to the school, and the uh, they shut it down. They said, we got to evacuate. Get out of here. There's a Class 5 hurricane coming into town. So we were like, what? We Let's, let's just go check this out. So we went to Algiers because they weren't evacuating Algiers. <laughs> And we just kind of hung out there. Well, you rode through the storm? Yeah, in Algiers. What? Yeah. As a student, you went to Algiers and rode out the storm? Well, I was hanging out with the acid heads, so they weren't really thinking about their personal security. They were, they were more thinking about, like, what is this going to We're going to go 
be the William Burroughs of the 2004. Well, we didn't even know it was going to be a bad hurricane. Yeah. I mean, we weren't really. Yeah, William S. Burroughs' house is in Algiers. Yeah, so we were gonna go. We were gonna go like make a pilgrimage to William Burroughs' house, like anyway, drop acid and hang out during the. Okay, <laughs> exactly, um, and that that didn't work out so well. I mean, we uh, we ended up staying with uh, my friend's uncle over there, which is fine. And we lost power, and and we didn't really know what was going on until he got some uh, batteries for his radio. You know couple days after the storm had actually passed holy shit wait a second so the levees broke and you're in a place in the city that's not flooded one of the few places so you don't know that 80 percent of the city's underwater no because we figured it out yeah. no but not for a couple days though because <laughs> right, right. you didn't have any batteries in the radio <laughs> you didn't talk to any neighbors there were no, no one no, else we, around? we, we found out i mean it was okay yeah wow so it is uh and then we went at we went over to this uh really cool guy um uh malik rahim uh, we went over to his house because he was actually starting a relief effort over there, and we decided as young, idealistic, uh, acid-taking college students that we should go help out with the relief effort. So we went over to uh, Malik's house, and he had really assembled a crack team of uh, anarchists, communists, Marxists, and they were doing this campaign, Solidarity Not Charity, and there was this guy, Scott Crow, and he was from Austin, and he was there, and we and, we, and what does that look like? Solidarity, not charity. Well, it was a lot of tents in his backyard. A lot of um, so we started a commune, right? But they were bringing doctors in from uh, Canada, and they were bringing in uh, doctors from Austin, and they started the Common Ground Clinic in Algiers. Cool. And then we were also doing um, just basic like. Oh, you know, um, there was some um, crypto anarchists that had set up, uh, oh no, cyber, cypherpunks. There, this movement of uh, computer hackers, and they came in and they set up all these tin can, Pringles can antennas to the Algiers Library so they could get Wi-Fi because nobody had power, nobody had internet, but everybody needed the FEMA money, right? You had to fill out some form like your social security number, like rent slips, I don't know, blah blah blah, and so the. Um, yeah, so they had to um, Pringles like potato chip cans. Did it work? Well, yeah, they. Uh, it's these these cypherpunks. They're incredible. They were a couple of them from the University of uh, Winnipeg, and they had studied under this guy, um, uh, Marshall McLuhan, and they had studied under McLuhan. But they were, you know, they were. Um, they got the internet working, and we were telling everybody, we're going door-to-door, be like, come in and fill out your FEMA forms, come over to Malik's house. Huh. And, uh, and then the Burning Man people started showing up because Hurricane Katrina and Burning Man were going on at the same time. And then <laughs> all the people out in the Utah desert were like, oh, yeah, we're, we're making ourselves a, an auton- a temporary autonomous uh, community where we can flout the law and uh, create our own perfect utopia and then they were like wait but there's a real world out there and so like they all got in their uh, burning man vehicles with the dust all over the windshield and they drove to new orleans unfortunately all they had was um cases of beer and like hula hoops and a bunch of acid (laughs) more acid but they resupplied the acid uh i was gonna ask you um what did y'all do for oh so well, no, we weren't doing acid during the hurricane. Uh, I, okay. Yeah, so that was, that was the previous semester. I don't know. That was just the okay. whole freshman year. But, okay. Um, 
Anyhow, they... Uh, we slow down the Burning Man story. Okay, wait. So the Burning Man show up. So the Burning Man crowd shows up, and they are gung-ho to do relief work, but they, you know, they just like many people don't exactly know what it is that we need, you know. So, yeah, they just brought a bunch of beer, which is really, really not what the whole situation needed because... Well, anyway, we needed more of everything at that point, though, you know? Right, right. Yeah. But we needed, like, dog food and diapers and cans, cases of water and that, but they... Yeah, so... And, and then Malik, he's a, um, you know, he's a um, Muslim, so he he doesn't drink. And so it was it was tough for him to tolerate that. And then Hurricane Rita came right after that. He's okay with acid, he just doesn't drink? <laughs> no, no, we I mean, we weren't... <laughs> we weren't dropping acid at the, you know, the relief agency or anything. Thing. It was just, you know, that kind of crowd, you okay, know, okay. the heads, you know, and uh, and a lot of anarchists, like a lot of like train riders, they were all showing up. It was like flocks of them because they, they were like, oh, yeah, we've we're in Algiers. Take- yeah. Would not have thought. I think Algiers from Katrina. I think of what happened in that old man bar. What's it called? The dried. Should I say it? I probably shouldn't say it. They don't like to hear about it. That was well, famous. The, wasn't the dry. Wasn't the dry dock. And that was the one. It was the place. Am I, am I saying it wrong? I, mean, I might be wrong about this. That was the place where the, a bunch of guys got drunk and they were on camera because they had nothing to do. A bunch of like middle-aged uh, white men got drunk and they started making claims that weren't true, but basically that they were defending the point from another race or whatever and they you know with guns you, you remember this one yeah there was that? some white militias yeah. they were coming right, through right, right. and, and they were in the trucks and right. we were, and you know we were a mixed race kind of crowd and right. but you no know, they were i mean the white militias were also very kind and very helpful uh but yeah very scary it's okay like well and, I, I don't want to anyway. um, <laughs> let, let's move on a little bit because we want to hear more about your life and um so so did you go back to school yeah, so I went back to school uh, and then uh, got a, the psychologist uh, to write me a, um, what's it called? Uh, do not ha- you do not have to pay for this semester because you're crazy note. What are they? Wow, I want one of those. Yeah, all you had to do was go in there and tell them, um, you know, list the drugs that you have done. <laughs> they were like, yeah, you're crazy. Get out of here. Go take a semester off. And, I mean, I think that actually was the case for a lot of students. that Were even, traumatized. Even the ones that were, yeah, because they had survivor's guilt. It's like, yeah, you're going to, like, come back to the city and all of a sudden you're going to be studying calculus while there's people, like, your professor's, oh. like, house in Gentilly is, like, underwater. It's like... No, we're not going to study calculus. We're going to like oh. uh, do it what everybody in America does and self-medicate. <laughs> <laughs> so, wait. So you took a semester off. Yeah, and so and then that and then at that point, I just was uh, started working at Zots on the graveyard shift, which was not helping my mental health because I was like going from one a.m. to. 6 a.m. They shift. were open from 1 a.m. to 6 a.m.? Yeah, that was back when Zots was 24 hours, and that's what they were famous now, on for. On Oak Street. On, on Oak Street, yeah. Awesome. So the strippers would come in, and the, the uh, firefighters, paramedics, and you know all the night owls, and they would come and get their coffee. So you were drinking coffee and working all night. And then and staying up all day and doing architecture or whatever. You did. Yeah. You, you stuck with architecture. Yeah, for at least half a semester, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you stopped architecture, you stopped going to Tulane? Right. Okay. Yeah. So, uh... Yeah, and architect. Do you regret that? No, because I kind of always was, you know, like, more along the lines of, well, I'm just going to build houses and make art and just do it all. 
without the license, because architects don't actually build buildings. They just. Um, yeah, my husband's an architect. Yeah, it's a, it's a. I mean, you have to be really passionate, right? Because it's not a. Uh, it's not as uh, idealistic or or. I mean, it's not as exciting, I think, as what people think. And it, I, I mean, Tulane seems like a lot of it. it I don't know. I don't want to get into it. We don't need to get into it. But so did you actually start working with your hands and, and making art and building things? Yeah, definitely. Um, so a lot of uh, painting, a lot of uh, illustration, um, and, and actually a lot of uh, landscape design. I, I uh, ended up, through my connection at Zotz, meeting this really incredible woman uh, Charlene Quinlan, and she uh, she actually uh, had a landscaping business, and they and they uh, oh, and she's uh, one of these kind of old school New Orleans gardeners who does the um, natural plantings, you know, the native plants, the butterfly plants, the tropicals, and the so she was doing tropical butterfly gardening, and that was. Uh, pretty cool and she was a child of the 60s she was at Woodstock so we you know we got together real well yeah huh so you're doing that during the day and then working as Zots at night right okay yeah and she was taking me meeting all her clients and these were like the New Orleans you know art scene and and you know different you know uh Britannia Street and St. Charles Avenue kind of clients where the, she was doing these beautiful tropical gardens and we were you know hobnobbing and meeting all kinds of nice people and it was great. You still doing that? Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. Wow. So you so have two you do jobs. Do drawings and or do you actually do plantings? Uh, plantings. Yeah. Plantings. Okay. Insta- yeah. Des- design, installation, maintenance, the whole rigmarole. You ever nice. do the Benson's house? <laughs> <laughs> Just random. Yeah. No. That's I. I I'm the the um, I'm really excited about this Benson story that's going on right now. This, what do you uh, think about it? Oh, I love it. I, I love the uh, drama in the halls of oligarchy. <laughs> Dramas in the, whole, in the halls of our oligarchy. Okay, what, uh, tell, us, <laughs> tell us your thoughts. Well, what, is she's, the lady's like his third wife or something. What's her name? I don't want to call her Bimbo Benson. Oh, Gail. Right. <laughs> Gail Bimbo Benson? Gail Bimbo Benson. But yeah, so she's the third wife, and she's... Uh, what is she doing? Like, I've been married for like three or four years now. This is going to last yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, you, so after the third year, you write the kids out of the will, and, and uh, you take over all the assets, including the New Orleans Saints and the Superdome. I, th- I mean, I think it's a, gr- a bold move, and I, I wish her all the luck in the world. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, but they have another 30, 40 years together. He's only, what, 80, 89 now or something? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so do you have any uh, drama from your pre-Zots? Uh, any, uh, yeah, what, what family got, drama? Like, yeah, what, what got you to Zots? How do you go from Alabama to Zots? Oh, you're from Alabama? You're yeah. from Alabama, I'm I from, I come from Alabama where the banjo on my knee. I'm going to Louisiana for my true love for to see. Did um, you come for true love? True love, yeah. I followed my true love, uh, the religion of voodoo. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm I'm kidding about that, but um, mm. what, yeah, what we're, part I'm from. Uh, my parents uh, they live outside of Montgomery, Alabama. They live in Prattville. Pratt- I've heard of Prattville, yeah, yeah. It's uh, featured in the Gabriel Garcia Marquez novel, A Hundred Years of Solitude. Oh, 
it's where the gringo colonialist ha- had oh. come from that uh, enslaves the whole uh, family and <laughs> mur- murders the th- three kids. <laughs> I'm sure Pratt will yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, they're proud, yeah. <laughs> also, it's home of this song, uh, or the, the singer of Mustang Sally, Mustang Sally, better slow that Mustang down. <laughs> yeah, so. Is he still there? Um, that no, he's passed 50s, away. Right? Yeah. No, it's sixties. Okay. Was that you said it? Yeah. All right. So, uh, so your were your parents uh, were they hippies? Like, what? How did you get this way? No, I, I'm not exactly sure. That's a good question. <laughs> well, my mom's coming around. Uh, yeah, she recently. Uh, I don't think this is necessarily all for hippies, but she finally uh, quit her job and slinging uh, pharmaceuticals for big pharma, and she's. Take, she took a permaculture class, and so she's uh, studying the design science of permaculture. Now, you're all into permaculture. Tell us, tell our listeners about that a little bit. Yeah, it's, uh, it's basically like landscape architecture, but with an ethic. So, or, I mean, actually, more than just landscape design, just design in general. The ethic is uh, care of uh, the planet, care of people. And then you, you try to return the surplus of your previous two endeavors uh, to the previous two aims. So, for example, if I were to have a uh, coffee shop, I might, for example, collect the compost and uh, and return that surplus to the garden. So that's returning the surplus to the earth. And then I would uh, treat my employees really well and pay them a living wage and maybe even give them uh, paternity leave when they were, have, for example, to have a baby. So you're returning the surplus of your profits back to your employees, which in turn oh. can, you know... Um, build your uh the, the whole system and it's, so it's a whole design science based on the principles uh those, that ethic and then there's a set of 12 principles which you know i could go all into it all day but i won't take up your and time that comes the permaculture in landscaping is like creating an environment that is everything is organized so that it you don't have to add anything right like the plants die back and and or give back to the earth and then something else is planted right next to it and so it's kind of self-sustaining right right and so instead of buying your fertilizer and trucking it in from Lowe's what you can do is you can plant nitrogen fixing uh, leguminous shrubs so so for example you were to grow uh, the species acacias which is a very popular plant in New Orleans mimosa tree and uh, it's a, actually the there's a that's a little s- pink things on it yeah, yeah. there's a, a symbiotic uh root rhizome uh, bacteria they, they, that uh, fixes atmospheric nitrogen. So it'll actually, you know, bring down the nitrogen from the sky and put it in your garden so you don't have to buy a lot of fertilizer. And yeah, you can, uh, lots of little tricks like that. So what about, um, so is there anybody, have you worked on any gardens that um, are doing permaculture? Because it's pretty, um, it's exciting and it's, it's not a new concept, wasn't it? In Australia or something, Does right? Yeah, the the, uh, the founder is uh, Australian. Uh, two founders, uh, David Holmgren and uh, Bill Mollison, and they kind of were coming out of the '60s and realizing that they needed more than just um, idealism to 
to do earth repair work. They were gonna need actually a design science that they could bring to people mm -hmm. and have people implement in a decentralized fashion. So part of the ethic is you go as a teacher, uh, after you've taken your class, you go and you uh, and then teach and you return the surplus of your intellectual capital and your mm. intellectual energy and you return that back to the permaculture community by teaching classes and, and doing that kind of thing. So you're doing that here? Is anybody really doing permaculture gardening? It, yeah, in, in so in city? New Orleans it's really interesting because it seems like a lot of people are are doing it but they're not calling it permaculture it's not sort of out there as a buzzword in New Orleans now mm. other cities like um, you know for example Austin or even um, Athens Georgia right. um, or uh, Asheville North Carolina now that it's in the it's in the public zeitgeist and the uh, civic leaders are using it and so they're actually planning their cities based on the uh, principles of permaculture, but in New Orleans, we we've got a lot of work to do because this money this money city is built on oil. I mean, this oil city is built on money. I mean, well, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, the permaculture actually is really antagonistic towards petrol oligarchy, which is w what New Orleans is. It's a petrol oligarchy. We're the capital. The yeah. capital of petrol oligarchy more than Houston. Well, you know, you got to have sister cities. Uh, <laughs> But this is where the nobody's going to go to Houston to party. I mean, this is where petrol oligarchy goes to party. That's why we're seeing, you know, restaurant boom. Yeah. And <laughs> Exxon's paying the triple dividend. But, you know, like Exxon's profits are slipping, but they're still paying this like more dividend than they did last year. You know, something's fishy's going on. They're borrowing money. What's fishy? Oh, anyway. Tell us what's Do you issue. get to talk about this stuff in Zots? Do you? Oh, um... he does it all day long. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the fun part about listening to Luke, though, is like, you know, he's 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 a kind conversationalist in that, like, he knows when to shut up, but he, like, he tries to introduce these topics to some people that I don't think they can read. You know what I mean? Some, a few of them, you know. <laughs> I, I won't say the guy's name, but there's one guy that comes in there all the time, and he just, you know, he's a sweet, simple dude. And Luke is like, so let's talk about permaculture today. What do you, what do you think about anarchy? And he's just like, I don't know. I just want a coffee, man. Like. <laughs> And looks like all right. That's cool. And it's beautiful. It's like a. It's a very uh, open environment. You know, um, I feel like the the pace the pace of the workflow at Zots is so slow that I'm able to sort of uh, luxuriate with my customer interactions, and that's been really really nice uh, in my ten years. But this year, this is the first year we've started accepting credit cards. Oh, is and, that the end? Is that beginning of end for Zots? Well, it's Zots? been getting really crazy. It's like volume has increased by a factor of two, and so now I can't really hold a conversation with anybody for more than 30 seconds before the next person's tapping the foot and saying, where's my latte and all this, which is fine. You know, we're hustling. We're making serious dough, but... You know, I almost think that like a coffee shop can can gain more than just a, a financial energy. It can actually gain a cultural energy and an intellectual. Energy. Yes, I mean it's it's a commonly uh, understood historical precept that uh, coffee shops are where the intelligentsia go to plan the the rev. You know, they, that's why they are shutting coffee shops down. You know, in in uh, Islam. Uh, oh no, where is it in the in the middle Middle Ages? They they were shut that they made coffee illegal. Huh. He's reading on monitor. Don't look at that. When who's tweeting the red? <laughs> <laughs> okay. These are messages coming from the White House right now. Like, when is the revolution coming? <laughs> yeah. 
When it, yeah, when is it coming? Whoa, now it's speaking to us. How'd that happen? That's never happened before. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. He's, he's, he's provoked that. So, okay, um, while, we're, while we're playing the revolution, I wanted to ask you uh, an interesting question, Luke, because I'm, I, I, you know, I, now that I got a, you as a captive audience, I'm curious about these things. Um, so you mentioned paternity, um, um, you know, leave. Did you, did you get some? I mean, you, you have a child, right? Yeah, and I have one on the way as well. Whoa, I didn't know this. Okay, yeah. so how'd that happen? You have a wife? You have a girlfriend? What do you have? Yeah, um, let's see. Uh, I have a partner right now. It's, uh, we're uh, birth partners. Birth partners? Yeah. Holy crap. How, that, how does that work? Okay, what, in what regards? <laughs> what do you mean? Because no, I mean a lot of different things. Okay, birth partners. So this is, this oh, is a romantic I'm, attachment or is this a... You know, a marriage of convenience. Yeah, what you is just this? want kids. You're asking. I love just... kids. Yeah, I see. I feel like it's a, it's my mission. You know, part of my mission in life is to, uh, is to, is is to... be a parent. Okay. Yeah. And even though I'm a homosexual, it's like you know, I feel like it's really important that I share my gifts. You know, to the next generation. And if that requires, you know, being with a woman, that's fine. You know, that's. Do you all so you live together as a family, or is it just? Yeah, a... yeah. Because that's part of it, right? Oh wow! Okay, that's interesting. Well, anyway, there's that's this... so refreshing. Yeah. Well, they they always they often talk about the uh, the conspiracy, the LGBT conspiracy, where the uh, where the LGBT community is going to overtake the family, and they say it in hushed voices in the churches. And, and that, no no offense, I know you're a, a man of the cloth, Ray. So. <laughs> And, and the, actually, the, what the Presbyterians are coming around because they're now admitting <laughs> that gay marriage is something you can do. In the, no, can you wait? I don't want to get off topic yet oh, right. until uh, I find out what's going on here. Wait a second. So, so, so you have a household with a ch- with a child uh-huh. and another child, and, and you're the you're the father, uh-huh. like physically, right? Okay, <laughs> but you guys aren't romantically involved really well that well do you know how babies are made ray okay all right. okay yeah so you have been romantically right involved. i mean i don't want i mean i don't want stop me if i'm asking <laughs> questions that are inappropriate i'm just trying to figure this out okay but you're also guys you're i guess you have an open relationship because you're okay got it okay he nodded that's what he did okay so that's it well that's you know that's interesting you don't you don't meet that every day what if you decide to marry a man well, uh, or, that, or, but then the institution of marriage, I think, is also, you know, it's more of a civic and a religious institution. You know, it's about division of property and it's about, uh, you know, division of uh, religious responsibility and maintaining the patriarchy, really, when right. it comes down to it. I mean, and assuring paternity. So you're anti-marriage. <laughs> right. I'm anti-marriage. So, and, and I also think that the whole gay marriage issue is a very divisive issue because there's a lot of people in Alabama who you could not, you could not talk to about uh, gay marriage, you know, and right. they, they want to they see the president dead because he's all in support of gay marriage. Well, what if the president just said, well, I don't actually believe in the institution of marriage. I know I'm going off topic. A <laughs> <laughs> little bit. Wait a second. So I, I'm just trying to, I guess, you know, you, the labels may not work for you, but like, so you're a gay heterosexual communist. Uh, gay homosexual communist. Okay. Yep. Yeah, it's a gay pin- homosexual communist married, um, living with a woman romantically, uh, semi-romantically. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's great. Hey, it's the it's the nineties, Dad. <laughs> it's the nineties. It's the nineties, Dad. <laughs> All right. 
We have to... Uh, First time Chris has ever chimed in. What's going on? I'm saying that's a good title. It's the 90s Dad. It's the 90s Dad. <laughs> it's a good title. Well, that'll, be our, that'll be our episode title. Okay. Um, we're supposed to do this off the menu thing. Well, usually we have a I plus really, one, too. Yeah, but... Uh, I'm a little wor- should I be worried? Should you be worried about me? Uh, yeah. Okay. So let me explain Mickey Heenahan to you. He's my uh, coworker at Zots. And uh, oh, I know Mickey. Yes. Yeah. It didn't. It didn't click right away. Yeah. He's not coming in the door right now, and uh, he's without vehicle, so he usually takes his bicycle. And he had a radio show for a while too himself, didn't he? Yeah. He's got gigs at the Carrollton Station on. Uh, Monday night. Oh, maybe that's why he's not. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> and Monday night. Is he does the Wait, open mic. He's a musician. He does the open mic, uh, comedy open mic. Oh, com- comedian. Yeah, oh, yeah, he's a comedian. And uh, he's the second most interesting barista in New Orleans. Oh, don't tell him that. Tell him he's the first most interesting. Because I. That's well, that would be a lie. <laughs> well, yeah. Because well, we he's not here. <laughs> exactly. What's the deal, Mickey? <laughs> I have a question for you about um, Zots. So. I used to go in. I don't. I, I'm not sure who the owners were at the time, but um, they used to have um, an interesting menu at for for the time, and it was more um, before like gluten free and stuff like that was kind of big. You know, they had like some vegetarian stuff, some vegan stuff, and um, do y'all still have uh, any food? And is there anything special about the food they have? Well, what we used to do, and I really, this was what I loved, was we would go, we would walk ourselves down to Lebanon's Cafe at the corner of Carrollton. And, yeah, and, great uh, place. And Jeanette, and we would go and we would get hummus, baba ganoush, dolmas, and pita bread. And we would just sell... <laughs> Uh, we would add a markup, add twenty percent, yeah, and sell, <laughs> sell the Middle Eastern food, and yeah, it's gluten free. Well, they're paying for atmosphere, right? And it's, Lebanon has a wonderful atmosphere, but Zots is yeah. A little and bit their special machine was broken, so oh, I actually worked there too. That's how I got the job. Well, you worked at, at Lebanon first, yeah. Oh, so yeah, and uh, Hussein, he is the owner of Lebanon's Cafe. Hussein, he's, he's great. Hussein, yeah. Everybody and, in the Middle East is named Hussein, though. And he was from Iraq, but he decided that the ca- the cafe title Iraq Cafe just wouldn't fly. <laughs> With a guy owned by a guy named Hussein. <laughs> right. And While it, we're bombing him. And then his brother owns Babylon's Cafe over on uh, Maple in the laundromat uh, Middle Eastern Cafe. And, yeah, it was great working for him. Oh, wait, his brother owns Babylon? Uh-huh. Oh, you know what? They they taste the same. Yeah. Yeah. I never made and the they connection. Sh- okay. They share stuff too. Like and if one runs out of Zots taste the same too. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're gonna find out they get their coffee from Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> no, they get it from Rue down the block. No, we get our coffee from um, what formerly was known as uh, New Orleans Coffee Roasters, which is now known as Orleans Coffee. Oh yeah. Which is owned by uh, George Tommy Oliver and Kirk Tip. Knipmeyer, <laughs> and yeah, they're they're um, really incredible uh, roasters. They've they've uh, they treat their employees really well, and they um, they do the fair trade organic coffee imports, and yeah, they really focus on quality. Most coffee beans in America come through the port of New Orleans, and a lot of them are roasted here as well. Teams. And there's small roasters and very very big roasters too. Right. New Orleans East is like I think the roasting uh, mecca of uh, America or something. I think right. Right. Yeah, co- coffee culture in New Orleans has, has uh, according to Kirk, uh, who's the uh, 
one of the uh, guild members of the Snob, which is the Society of the New Orleans Barista. Yeah, I'm a Snob member in bad standing. <laughs> it's a very, uh, it's a very frantic organization. Uh, you know, I haven't really caught the buzz of it recently, but uh, yeah, the uh, the Society of New Orleans Barista has has come about because uh, New Orleans coffee culture has been so. Uh, uh, villainized by the rest of the country, you know, Portland's and Seattle, they look down on us. Uh, oh, they look down on everybody, though. Austin, <laughs> they do. They they say, oh, oh yeah, isn't that the place where they drink uh, chicory coffee? <laughs> chicory, co- oh yeah, and the Cafe Lays, yeah, that's that's not real coffee. That's Roots. <laughs> you can't drink on Roots. <laughs> roots. But I love chicory coffee. I, Me I'm gonna too. be honest. It's it's good for the liver. So snob is helping. Um, bring up the uh our standing of coffee and history is that right right so snob do well snob does barista training they they come um they uh have meetings every month and uh teach you you know we do cuppings uh where you smell the coffee and you try to decide oh what what is the yurga chefe and how does it differentiate itself from the costa fuevo and you know and they do um, mechanical workshops on how to break down the espresso machine like a, like a sniper rifle. I had no idea this is... <laughs> and, uh, Wait, how often does this happen? Once a month, you say? Oh, yeah. How many and people they, come? So do you go to... S- yeah, yeah, sometimes. And, uh, the, um, yeah, and they, uh, it's also kind of like uh, it's organized labor uh, in a certain way. You know, if we needed to go on strike, we could. Um, all the, all the snob workers of the world you know all right how many snobs show up for a meeting um i, I want to tell you hundreds but it's usually about eight okay so yeah. so so if you didn't go on strike no one would notice right that's basically like one shift at starbucks or right, something, right? right yeah wow so uh i see you have a tattoo on your forearm what is that Oh, that's uh, it's one a red that, square. Yeah, that's one more than bisexual. So if you're uh, if you're bisexual, no wait. Oh, if you're gay, you put a triangle, and if you're bisexual, you put one more line on the. Yeah, you never knew that. Didn't no. know it. Oh yeah. So wait. So if if I see someone with a red square, it's not that they love, not that they have a romantic attachment to the Kremlin, but it's that they are bisexual. Right. Yeah. And it, so so oh, when we get to put into the uh, concentration camps, we're going to be forced to wear red squares. What? No, because that's where the pink square came. That's where the pink, pink triangle, triangle came, came from. from. It came right. from the concentration camp? Right, yeah, Hitler's concentration camps. He, he would make the Jews wear the gold star, and he'd make the homosexuals wear the pink triangle. And the gypsies, I think they had to wear, like, a jester or something. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right, so I'm a boring heterosexual, so do I, do I get, like, a red pentagram or something? <laughs> like, what do I get? <laughs> they haven't made one for me yet. <laughs> no. What's going on? Why, why, are you in, why are you in silence? Did I say something wrong? No. Well, anytime, you drop, the, anytime you drop the name Hitler, the conversation is going on. Yes, right. to the conversation. I just had no, nothing was coming into mind. You gave mind. me that look. You gave me that look sometimes. You give me like, oh, crap, Ray, shut up. No? No, I That's would just say, Ray, shut the fuck up. I wouldn't just <laughs> give you a look. Well, going back to coffee culture, let's see. Yes. Okay, so they teach us how to uh, extract a good shot. They teach us how to um, 
determine whether we've made the appropriate gra- grind of the coffee. You know, you you uh, a fine okay. river sand. Is I'm sorry, oh. I'm interrupting you, but I don't think you answered the question. Do y'all still sell um, ah. someone else's food? Oh or yes. Or do you have okay, any so food? We have three food purveyors that we uh, ah. we focus on, and that's. Uh, Winn-Dixie. Robert's and Rouse's. Try to throw Bromart in there, too. Um, well, yeah. I mean, it's, you, when you're running a business, you, uh, you, you're, you're mark, you're, um, your main revenue stream is, is the drinks, right? Yeah. So the, so the uh, restaurants, they're making um, the most amount of markup on the drinks. You sell in soda. You sell... Uh, Seven cents worth of syrup and carbonated water for what? Three dollars. I don't know what. What do they charge for sodas these days? Well, same same is true with coffee. You know, you you you. Uh, what's a bean? And, or I mean, they are organic beans. So, but yeah. So, um, but we try to keep um, we try to keep uh, the food really fresh. Um, we do uh, the breads on Oak Street. We we uh, serve their gluten free. Oh, your neighbor, yeah. And uh, and their vegan options. They have a really incredible uh, vegan mufanado. It's the mufalado, but instead of using corned beef or salami, instead of salami, they use tempeh. So it's tempeh, olive salad, and flacacha. Wow. So wait a minute. Y'all serve that? Zot serves that? Yeah, we, we go down the street to Breads on Oak. And we, <laughs> we buy it. We, we buy mark it, up 20%. We wrap it in cellophane. Yeah, and they, and okay, they love it. Yeah, Charmaine's the owner of that place. She's great. And, uh, so you carry, you, you carry Breads on Oak's product, breads and sandwiches. Which, by the way, is a great, you've been to Breads on Oak. That, that yeah. place is great. I love right. it. Yeah. All right, okay, that's so, nice. So at your at your um, snob meetings, um, who else is a regulars there? Like, what other coffee shops are represented well there? Oh, there's a. Uh we got some folks from Fairgrinds and Mojos. Love I try them. to bring all the folks that I knew from Satsuma. Ah. And uh, how do you know the folks at Satsuma? Oh yeah, I worked over there too. Um, I worked at the bio. I, oh, see, I'm like the Santa Claus of coffee. I, I work at every coffee shop. So you, you go. To, and there's also customers that go to every coffee shop within a day. You see, the, <laughs> you think that they're going home to like you know do something with their lives, but they're actually just going to every single coffee shop. In Satsuma the city. is my furthest geographic spot. You know, if I walk to the original Satsuma, not the one on Maple, I go to more often now, but the original one in Bywater and back, it's literally a half marathon to my house. It's exactly a half marathon. It's wow. 13.2 miles if I go from there to... And I, I do that about once do a month. Do you do so. it just for the coffee? Or you uh, no, like I mean, the atmosphere? I mean, and the yeah, I like that place a food. lot. But I'll go... The food's great there. The salads are amazing. And the turkey sandwich is the best turkey sandwich in the city to me. But um, I'll do like... I'll walk like three miles, coffee, coffee meeting. Walk another three miles, coffee meeting. If I can, if oh, I can I time it out correctly, I can make so it to Satsuma and back in one day. So you're one of those people that goes to other coffee shops... Throughout the day, oh yeah, you yeah. have all your you meetings. You notice about me, yeah, yeah. I do, I do all day long. I just do coffee meetings. He's like a hummingbird, <laughs> <laughs> a caffeinated hummingbird. He yeah, just yeah. goes and dips his proboscis <laughs> in the various <laughs> coffee watering holes. But I'm in Zots at least every Friday morning. Probably shouldn't tell my listeners this because I know we have a lot of fans. They may start to stalk us. <laughs> but uh, but <laughs> anyway, so that that guy listening to us now, like with a ham radio, like in, in Utah, whatever, is going to fly up. But anyway. Um, and uh, yeah, because I get my hair cut near there, 
Um, the only guy I can give a decent Weekly? pompadour in town. Well, Monthly? about every about every two weeks, yeah. Two weeks. And then yeah, I have a, I have a standing meeting. Somebody who like has to get to work, and the only one that's on his way to work is Zotz before he gets to work. So that's where we meet every every Friday in the morning. Wait, what time does Zotz open up? For uh, Seven a.m. Seven a.m. Sort of sharp. Yeah. Okay, yeah. and what what time do you close? Uh, one a.m. Seven to one a.m. I remember when you guys used to be like four a.m. or something, or weren't you? It was you, twenty-four or? hours, but we okay. had to cut it back because the the um, crack addicts and the homeless people they'd come in and they'd start working the place. So they'd come back and they, oh yeah, let me let me let me clean up, and they grab the broom and they'd start cleaning, and then oh. like the other crack addict would come and start making shots of espresso. <laughs> and we were just like, I was at the computer playing like Sim City or something. I'd be like, oh yeah, come on y'all. Like, Get it together. <laughs> so when you were doing the night shift, were you doing it by yourself? Yeah, exactly. So that's why you, I've seen him kick people out too before and like, you know, give people some trouble for messing around. Yeah, you've had to a few times. That's during the day. So at night it must be a lot more. Because Oak Street is great. It's a really mixed right. culture right there. You got everything from white collar to blue collar to, you know, down and out folks to musicians to students to locals to, you know, you got a good mix there. And I've seen him crack the whip a few times. One guy comes in with food all the time, and and like about once a week, probably. I don't know. I've yeah, seen. Yeah, he's him got many like two yeah. bags of Doritos, and he's got a pizza balanced <laughs> on his head, and he's like, he's like not this ordering food. <laughs> he's like, what? I'm gonna take this and put this in my backpack later. <laughs> it's like, no, <laughs> you're clearly going to sit, sit here and use our day. Wi-Fi <laughs> and eat pizza. <laughs> I've seen him kick the same guy out like three times, or not even kick him out, but just like scold him for the food. And each time he acts like it's the first time it's ever happened. What? Like, what? what? <laughs> Maybe we could have him on as your plus one. He would one. be an awesome yeah, plus one. the crack addict. You're right. Um, so, but yeah, but I really love Oak Street because I feel like it's the bell, bell ringer the, um, uh, of what's happening in this country, uh, uh, which is that people are re-inhabiting America's main streets. They're going and they're actually, they want to walk to where they eat and they want to walk to where they, where they live and where they work. So people work there, they eat there, they live there. It's open 24 hours a day. You can go get a, a drink at 1 a.m. You, uh, you can get a coffee at you know, midnight. You can uh, go shopping you know, at night. You, you know, it's rare that people uh, have retail locations that are open past 6. But yep. Oak Street, I think a lot of uh, Oak Street shops try. And uh, yeah, people want to. Everything's live in, local there. They want walkable city. Yeah, we yep. try to work with everybody local. Yep. You got glue next door. It's we got don't the do great... Cisco. No, no. I Cisco. know a lot of coffee shops in the city. You right. know, they they look real local, real genuine, but then the Cisco truck pulls up and back. They're getting Cisco cookie mix, Cisco <laughs> coffee, Cisco straws, and you know, I'm sure, you know they're doing their right livelihood, but you know, I I like it when it's local. It's good. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time. That flew by. Thank you, Luke. This was uh, this was very educational and very helpful and pretty enjoyable as well. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. Um, let's see. We need to uh, thank our sponsor again, don't we? Thank you so much to um, to Nola Brewing again, the tap room, for uh, being our host. This is uh, without them, we couldn't be here doing what we're doing. Um, and thanks tonight to Petite Pet Care for loving care when you're walking Oak Street at any hour. Check out PetitePetCare.com. 
Our special guest tonight at Midnight Menu Plus One was Luke, and I don't even know your last name, Dead Metal. D-E-A-D-N-E-T-T-L-A-Z, Dead Nettles. Nice. All right, he's even got a jingle for it. Um, <laughs> you can find out more about Zots by following the links on our website. We'll have that posted along with the show on itsneworleans.com. Thank you so much, and good night. You know Labor Day signals the unofficial end of summer, but not the end of your outdoor projects. Lowe's helps you do it right and helps you save with Labor Day deals throughout the store. Shop now and get two bags of Stay Green Potty Mix for $12. And keep your lawn looking neat and trim with a Craftsman 2-Cycle 17-inch gas string trimmer now $20 off at just $119. Whatever's still on your to-do list this Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 828. Soil offer excludes Alaska and Hawaii, U.S. only.